I think we've got the video. Round it there, Roshi. That's the ever on standby. There you go. <laughs> that was the worst day of my life. The worst day of my life. My God, it was absolutely brutal. What, what happened? OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Off the ball. This is News Talk. Welcome back to the final hour of tonight's Off the Ball. We've been left by Jared at this stage, Mick. We're holding the four between now and ten. He's gone. He's gone. But look, luckily the listeners uh, appreciate mine and your contributions, Will, so much that they're definitely not going to say, "Ah, I'll start my weekend early." They'll be here with us all the way to ten o'clock. Nah, we brought them in with the crappy quiz, the hook of Brian O'Driscoll in the second hour, and now maybe some of the bits they missed during the week. So what you're saying is we went from Brian O'Driscoll and Ger Gilroy, the doyen of off the ball and the greatest Irish rugby player of all time, to me and you. Your words, not mine, Mick. World well, Cup. That, that that is a fact that those two things have happened, but whether that's a drop or not is up to it's more subjective I would suppose yeah absolutely World Cup getting underway we were talking a little bit earlier on uh, this Sunday afternoon we've got the host Qatar taking on Ecuador in the opening game you actually reckon Qatar might do a bit better than I think they will I, I don't base it on football okay. I'm basing it on home field advantage and how teams have done experience yeah I'm based on there's been some poor teams who have been hosts in the past who have done pretty well and other things that I can't really say on air South Korea is right in the middle of your mind isn't it yeah, but I don't actually believe that that South Korea stuff that people thought happened, happened. You think they just got a few favourable decisions that wasn't due to some overarching conspiracy? I would tell yes, I would I would suggest that a, an overarching conspiracy was too... I, I certainly didn't see the evidence. Oh, look, I don't know. Did we get to the question in the quiz about... Uh, the? I, I don't think we got to it, actually, but I might ask you straight away now. Was mm. like, I can't remember the guy's name. It would have been written in front of Gerardo. He would have had it, but... Uh, what Italian club sacked the South Korean goal scorer after he bit the he- the hand that feeds him? I don't need the answer now, but I think it's Perugia. It is Perugia. Oh, yeah. I would have got a point. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That that makes up for maybe. I getting... didn't have the bite the hands that feed you part because it was it would have uh, been a bit too much of a tongue twister in a rapid fire round. But uh, mm. that is, I think, what he said translated from Italian, wasn't it? I think the fact that I was able to get that makes up for possibly getting a few extra seconds in the quiz, a which some of the viewers seconds. might have noticed. Yeah, somebody forgot to hit the clock and it was too late to do anything about it. It amounted to one question. I could have got the question wrong, could have got it right. We don't Who know knows? how many questions it accounted. I, I would leave that up to the official adjudicators as Stokes Kennedy Crowley or whatever they're yeah, called. I'd say it was one question. Stokes Carry Crowley, I did. They were, they were also, in that pretty match, they called them Stokes Carry Crowley. And because of that, I've never actually remembered what the real <laughs> the name of the company is. Yeah. It's been, it's been a while since I've sat down and actually watched the draw when you find out who's sitting there watching it. But hey, um, the favourites going into the tournament are Brazil and Argentina, two South American teams. All of the competition has been dominated by European contenders in recent years. Uh, the two leading fancies from Europe are France and England. Argentina beat Brazil in last year's Copa America final at the Maracanã and they come into the World Cup on a 36-game unbeaten streak. Qatar represents the last and probably the best chance for Leo Messi to lift the trophy. And South American football expert Tim Vickery joined us on the football show this week and he says he's been impressed by Lionel Scaloni's side they're beautiful to watch they really it's it's almost like a kind of retro side um, the way that, that they pass the ball and when when they associate and really make that ball fly they're, they're, they're beautiful to watch um, it's now 36 unbeaten they just uh, beat the Arab Emirates 5-0 today <laughs> There's a, yeah. there is a fear that it's going to go wrong 
<laughs> it's going to go wrong when it when it's uh, it, when it's most important. They are aware of uh, they they did play the European champions Italy at Wembley a few months back and just destroyed them. Yeah. But they're aware that Italy had a long unbeaten run and Algeria had a long unbeaten run and neither of them at the World Cup. So that that unbeaten run is almost like a like a worry. Um, but they're they're beautiful to watch. They're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun with them. Um, my worry for them business end of the competition is the defensive unit. It's greatly improved. Martinez of Villa and Romero of, of, of Tottenham are the best, respectively, goalkeeper and centre-back that Argentina have had for a while. And the stats are brilliant. I mean, it's something like two goals conceded in, in the last 15 or something. It's extraordinary. But they're often defending at full stretch. And uh, when you get to the business end of the World Cup, I, I fear that that might be the sector that lets them down. Um, I would much rather have Brazil's defensive unit than Argentina's. Okay, interesting. So you will have seen Ecuador more than the rest of us, I suspect. Mm. They will get things underway come Sunday against Qatar. It doesn't jump off the page as a particularly (laughs) um, uh, glamorous tie, I have to say. I suspect half the world will watch it hoping Ecuador uh, stuff Qatar 5-0, to be frank about it. So what are we to expect from Ecuador? Well, the, the sides met almost exactly four years ago, uh, and it was great. Qatar won 4-3. It was a terrific game. So more of that, please. Uh, the Brazil coaching staff think that Ecuador could be one of the surprise sides of this World Cup. No one is going to relish facing them. They are very, very physical. They're big, and they're strong, and they're quick, and they're well-coached. Um, it, it's a remarkable story, really, because they, they'd had a nightmare few years on and off the field. A month to go to World Cup qualifying, they appoint this low-profile coach from Argentina who's never worked in Ecuador before, and he comes in and he's an instant success. He, he, uh, Alfaro, Gustavo Alfaro, he's always worked better with counter-attacking sides, and that, that's what Ecuador are. And he's shown remarkable courage to take advantage of youth. There's some really interesting youth development work going on in Ecuador. Uh, I mean, the last time we had under-20 football, Ecuador were South American champions and they came third in the world. And that generation have now come through. And players who are even younger have come through, like Moses Caicedo, now of Brighton, who is probably the most important player in the side. Um, so this is a team with virtues. I do worry about where the goals are going to come from. They've really dried up. Um, the strikers are, are out of form. There's there's pressure on Caicedo to score the goals as well as win the ball and set up the play. He's, he's expected to, to score some of the goals as well. And the other thing which you just don't know is it's a young side. Only three of them were at the World Cup in Brazil eight years ago, the last time that they, they qualified. How are they going to react? They've never seen anything like this before. You know, playing the opening game, the eyes of the entire planet will be on them. It's a vital game because it's not an easy group. How are they going to react? When Ecuador's first World Cup was 2002, and they weren't a bad side then. And in, in the third game, they played really well. They beat Croatia. The problem was that they'd already lost the first two games because it had all kind of passed them by. You know, it wasn't until the third game that mentally they were ready to, to, to give of their best. So emotionally, how will they cope with the pressure of what for almost the entire squad is their first World Cup? OK. And in general terms, uh, there's been so much talk, obviously, about the controversial aspects of this World Cup. In general terms, from a footballing point of view, are you anticipating an enjoyable World Cup, a good World Cup, high quality World Cup? I am, yes. Yes. Uh, and obviously the, the, the controversial aspects uh, should be talked about, will be talked about, are being talked about, and are being, are being talked about more because the World Cup is there. Yeah. 
um, which is is one positive spin-off. I don't know if that justifies uh, everything that's taken place. It, it, it surely doesn't, but at least there's one spin-off of that. But from a purely footballing point of view, yes. And the other big football story of the week, former Manchester United captain Gary Neville says there's no way back now for Cristiano Ronaldo at Old Trafford. The Portugal star has launched a skating attack on the club, criticising the hierarchy, manager Eric Ten Hag and also the infrastructure in a two-point interview with Piers Morgan, which has aired over the last couple of nights. The Athletic's Andy Mitten spoke to Shane and Ger on OTBAM this week and he thinks Ronaldo's comments this week have been nothing but self-serving. If he would have talked about the training ground when he came back, he would have been more valid than talking about it now because actually a lot of money was spent on the training ground in the closed season. And some of the points he made um, were, were, were valid. He came back when he left the club in 2009. Manchester United were world champions. When he came back, United were a long way from from that point. But he hasn't done this interview from a position of strength. And I just think he needs someone close to him to say, get real. You know, you're not who you were. Um, Manchester United fans are not stupid. They've been watching the games this season. Uh, his performances have, have dropped substantially. His output has, his number of goals has. And he's gone from being a positive influence to a negative influence. He wanted to leave the club in the summer. Manchester United would not stop him leaving the club in the summer. United didn't push him out like he suggests. He wanted to leave. The fact that nobody came in for him who could pay the high wages it is on at Manchester United is not the fault of Manchester United. What do you, what do you make of the timing of it all, Andy? Like, I mean, I know Piers Morgan was asked um, last week, I think, you know, when this interview was recorded, he wasn't too um, keen to, to reveal when exactly that was. I'd imagine it's, it's since he refused to come off the bench uh, against Newcastle that day, but we don't, we don't really know. But the timing is interesting. Yeah, I naively thought after the Fulham game on Sunday that Manchester United wouldn't dominate the news cycle now the World Cup finals were kicking in. But I use the word naive because the public gets what the public wants. Uh, Piers Morgan befriended Cristiano Ronaldo because he is a celebrity that he is. He talked about having almost half a billion followers on Instagram and that stuff resonates with him. And clearly with the player as well, he spoke about that uh, during the interview. Um, from a journalistic perspective, uh, it's kept people busy this week when not a lot is actually uh, happening. So I think it was deliberately planned. I think the choice of platform was wise from Piers Morgan's perspective, but not from Cristiano Ronaldo's perspective. But everyone's been talking about it. He's got this huge scoop and he's, he's done what he does, whether it's with Donald Trump or Cristiano Ronaldo. He'll just be sitting back smiling now that people are arguing back and forth whether uh, Cristiano was right or wrong to do it. But among Manchester United fans, and that's who I care mostly about, the, re- the reaction has been overwhelmingly negative. And he might talk about they're always there for me, they're great for me. Um, well, I'm sorry, I- I've not met many who think it was a good idea for him to say what he said. And I think Eric Tenag's treated him pretty fairly, actually. It could have been much more harder on him. So to, to talk about being betrayed by him, uh, I think he's wider the mark. Well, this week on the digital media award-winning Koi Gig pod, Kathleen, Karen and Emmett were investigating the ever-growing prevalence of ACL injuries in women's football. They were joined by Professor Joanne Parsons of the University of Manitoba to discuss her study on why women are more susceptible to knee ligament injuries. What we're suggesting about ACL injury 
really can be um uh, can be applied across many sports injuries. So concussion, uh, girls, women suffer concussions more often, um, ankle sprains as well. Um, <clears throat> and across medicine, like you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of research that suggests that, uh, you know, women don't get offered surgery as often, uh, cardiac surgery. Their heart attacks are not recognized in women as quickly as in men. Uh, they're not treated the same way. And so, ACL, uh, and there's some in, um, preliminary research that shows that that's the same way. Girls and women are not offered ACL surgery as often as boys or men. Now, we know we don't always need surgery, but if they're not receiving the same options, why is that? I mean, it's certainly not because they have, you know, XX chromosomes. It's, it's something else is at play. And, and I think it's important to say too, um, specifically that often, most times, this is not a, um, a purposeful slight for girls or women, like often it's not, it's just kind of these implicit biases and, and ways of doing things that we've done for years and years and decades. And no one ever kind of just sets steps back and says, what, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And can we do something better? That's not going to disadvantage, you know, half the population basically. That's just a snippet of this week's Koi Gig Pod, which is brought to you with Cabri FC. They are the official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. After the break, we'll be discussing Donegal's Michael Murphy calling time on his inter-county career. Welcome back. It is the best of here on Off the Ball, looking back at the best of our content from the week gone by. A reminder as well that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Each week, we're giving one lucky listener a €100 voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out Off the Ball on Twitter. Just like and retweet our Brayburn competition post and you'll be in the draw. Brayburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green near you. New locations are popping up every month. So visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee coffee experience. Now this week we got the news that Michael Murphy said that he no longer feels that he's got the energy and capacity Mick to reach the performance levels to give his best for Donegal. The 2012 All-Ireland winning captain has brought the end of his 15 year inter-county career. He was named man of the match in the All-Ireland final in that year 2012 and also won five Ulster titles along the way with Donegal. And we've been listening to tributes during the week and you guys were talking about this in the news round as well. He goes down as one of the best of the modern era. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think he's a guy who was a great, not just in one position, but in multiple positions too, where you would love to be able to clone Michael Murphy playing one of him in midfield, one at 11 and one at 14. Yeah, yeah. Right down the spine of your team. I think it's like, I'm just, I'm just, when this these types of things happen, I remember going back to like Gooch retiring and every time a, a quote unquote great player goes, you sort of have these conversations. It's like, what defines them? And I, I, I move as I get older, less towards individual skills and moments and everything like that and more about how I always wanted to watch Michael Murphy whenever Donegal were playing. I also, if I was, if you, if your team was playing against them, Michael Murphy was the one to fear. It almost didn't matter what position he was in. He was the linchpin and leader of that team in every way. It didn't matter like necessarily what kind of form he was in or it was never just by reputation. It was it was always real. Michael Murphy was always the best player for Donegal. And this is like, you can say what you want about how whether they're All-Ireland contenders or not, but this is also a team that have Paddy McBrearty and various other like truly, really great players going back in the day when he was there with Colin McFadden and oh, the boy Ryan McHugh, obviously, for most of the, most of the career there as well. He was on... <coughs> 
I'm going to hear from now in a minute, actually, if I'm not going to preempt that. But, you know, like, Ryan McHugh is obviously one of the best footballers in the country, but Murphy was always by far and away. And I think that's how you judge whether somebody was a truly great player or one of the best. Definitely one of the best of his generation, probably one of the best of all time. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've actually been thinking a good bit about him when we spoke about it on the news round on Wednesday night. We'd literally just heard. Mm. I think, you know, gave him, like, you know, had a good conversation about him but since then you're seeing tributes you're seeing how much he actually meant to football and to Donegal over the last 10-15 years you know it's a, it's a hell of a legacy I didn't think we were ready for the kind of Michael Murphy goodbye no it's very very it's, it feels sudden to me I know he's 33 but I'd never thought that we'd seen the last of him you know um, in the Donegal jersey um, I wonder because he mentioned in the interview with Donegal Live on Wednesday that he had been thinking about this since the Monaghan game last season. They had a long time to think about it and kind of had to come to terms with it as the summer turned into autumn and all that. Yeah, with no but manager. I, that's I'm wondering, with no manager around, I wonder if that may be play on his decision-making process a little bit. I said the same to Joe, and I'm not, like, I was asking the question, but it was obviously leading, as I think you are to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like it couldn't have helped in the you know if you're a Donegal person wanting Michael Murphy to stay on and give it one more year you can't imagine that the black hole of information that went on months and months and months and months up until very very recently kind of helped if they're already in camp and they're in whatsapps and they're getting their they're getting their information and their training schedule like back in September or August even as I think some teams are then does he even get the chance to think about this? Is he just automatically back into it as he has been for the last 15 autumns? Yeah. You know, um, who knows? But look, I mean, Michael Murphy's also an intelligent adult who isn't going, isn't like duped by the fact that something is a month later than it normally is. No, like he knows uh, his own body and he knows his own motivation. 100%, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, so so he, he might just know time is time. And also, like, there might be something to be said for... You know what I mean? I could probably still go out there and be a very good player for Donegal and we could go and, you know, challenge for an Ulster title. But there's probably not an All-Ireland in this team at the moment and I'm probably not playing or going to be as good as I was. And maybe maybe it's better for Michael Murphy's legacy and for football that we never got post-peak Murphy. Yeah. Well, or post-second peak, I would say. Like, I don't think, I never got the impression Michael Murphy was an old player or was lacking anything. Whereas maybe if he'd done another two years, we would have seen that decline. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I really like about him, we'll hear from Ryan McHugh now in a second, was also just how he carried himself yeah. also in defeats. Um, yeah. I think uh, Tommy Niblock had the video up from Cavan. 2020 Cavan. Yeah. And understandably, Cavan are picking up the anglo Celts and it's this big shock result where they've beaten Donegal. And it would have been easy for the Donegal players, and Michael Murphy particularly, to just make their way to the dressing room and get out of there while that presentation is taking place. Because there's no crowd there either. So yeah. there would have been no excuse for getting off the pitch and yet Michael Murphy stays there, watches the presentation, goes round and shakes hands with the victorious Cavan team afterwards. Yeah, he always seemed like Not a gent. Not seemed to do. Yeah, always seemed like a gent. Always, um, you know, never any controversy around him. Always seemed to, you know, as I mentioned, like, you know, he was a young guy in 2012, but he was captain of that team. He was, he never shirked his responsibilities as a leader or as a representative as well as as a footballer, you know, so a lot, lot of weight on his shoulders as well. Like I compared him to Joe Canning a little bit last week as well. And again, me and you actually haven't talked about this stuff even off air, but, uh, you know, I do think there's a lot of similarities between the two. And I talked about it in terms of like them being the people needed in two positions, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes three uh, that, that 
but it was also the weight that was on their shoulders, a county expected from young, young age. And they went and delivered. And like with like I don't think we can put into context or even fully understand ourselves that to go out and have the types of career that Michael Murphy and Joe Canning both had is an incredible achievement on its own. But I think it's an even bigger one when they were told they were going to have that and expected of them. And if they weren't doing it, they were underperforming and letting people down from the ages of mid-teens. Yeah, and like one of the big differences probably here is that Canning was trying to get to the top of the mountain throughout his career yes. to lift Lee McCarthy yeah, yeah, and yeah. got there right towards the end. And he had yeah. that moment and it probably, you know, sealed everything that he wanted to achieve within the game. In Michael Murphy's case, he's still in college when he lifts mm. the Sam Maguire as a captain. Yeah. I think he's 22, 23 yeah. in 2012. And yeah. he was the Sigerson winning captain that same year as well. And then Captain Ireland in the international rules before he was 23. And then it's so hard when you've got the rest of your career then in front of you after yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, a couple of years later, they went to an Ireland final and got beaten. We mentioned many Ulsters they've won over exactly, the period. Yeah, five it's so Ulsters, hard when you two achieve that Ireland finals, but it's like you have to. You're dead right, by the way. But I wonder, is it more perception than reality? Because the idea that they didn't build in that or anything like that, you know, as you said, they they did get to another All Ireland final, and I don't want to be disrespectful when I say this, but they're Donegal. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a it's a small playing county. It's not a small physical county, obviously, but it's a small county that doesn't have like a huge tradition of success and in Michael Murphy's 15 years they won five Ulster titles the most competitive province by a mile they won five Ulster titles they've always been there or thereabouts in, in Donegal they've been All-Ireland contenders all but maybe five or six years of that 15 and they got to two All-Ireland finals and won one of them it's an incredible achievement like it really is and he was with the catalyst for it all you know, maybe with Jim McGuinness in the early days, but you would put him over the course of the entire time he was there. He's probably the most important figure in the county in that time. Well, let's you hear know? from one of the generals who was on the pitch with him. His former teammate, Ryan McHugh, was on OTBAM earlier today. He says the Glen Swilly Clubman's leadership is what's going to be the hardest for Donegal to replace. He spoke when he needed to speak, you know, and, and, and he led by, by playing when he, you know, with it. I think, you know, and a lot of players will, will understand. Uh, there's, there's a big saying in, in all sports but you, you are what you train you know and Michael Murphy was the hardest trainer in, in Donegal every single night you know and, and I think that was what, what separated him from, from every other not just Donegal players but all I, I can't only speak for Donegal players you know but I think that's what separated him he, he played or he trained I should say sorry as if he was playing the Lair and final and th- that day every single night of training you know, and, and I think that's who he brought so many so many of us with him the, the, other, the other Donegal players you know um in terms of sitting in the dressing room, he's just a great lad, you know. Everyone got on the best of him. I think, you know, he, he'll have best friends and we're all best friends him for life, you know. And But he, but he did lay down the law when he needed it, you know, when he'd get on to players or, or if there was any problems, you know, it was Michael that you went in and Michael would obviously re- relay it back to the management team, you know. So, um, but I think that, that Michael's biggest strength is, I would, I would always go back to that and what, what his biggest strength was, was just the way he trained every single night of the week and, and not, and again, I go back to the other one, not just on the training pitch, how he lived his life you know, I, I heard a, a saying a couple of years ago, it, it was a, a, an S&C coach of ours, Aaron Kyle's always said, he said, it's not about the two hours that you train, it's the other 22 hours of the day, what you do. And Michael loves them other 22 hours of the day so professionally and that gave him the best chance to train, which obviously gave him the best chance to play at the weekend. Ryan, you mentioned that he wasn't afraid to lay down the law. Were you ever on the receiving end of it? <laughs> yeah, I've been a couple of times, you know. Um, not just simple things, you know, not 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 anything major, but... 
you know, if, if, if he had to call you out, he, he definitely he wasn't shy in calling you out, you know, as, as all players are, and I can imagine every other team's are, you know, he, he was our captain, so he was, he's our leader. I think there's not many other teams that, that can say that they probably had the same captain from, from 2011, you know, since the first day I came in in 2013, I've had the same captain since. It's going to be a strange year next year when, whenever the captain's uh, announced in the Donegal squad who's going to be, you know, but it, 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 I've, I've had the same captain. And, and I think every single player in Donegal wouldn't have had it any other way because we knew Michael was our leader. He was our, he was our, the man we went to, as I said, when, when times got tough, he was the man we looked at. And, and he always stood up. So we did, you know, we never shied away from it. Probably wasn't easy at times, you know, but he never, never shied away from it, you know. Even Eamon McGee writing yesterday, Ryan, in the paper, and he's, again, someone who knows him very well, and he said he never saw it coming. Um, and and the, even in his own statement, he talked about, you know, uh, speaking, I guess, in the dressing room after the defeat to Armagh and Clonus last year. Um, and he said, the last time we sat together in the changing rooms in Clonus, I told my teammates that whatever happened in the future, Donegal will always go on. don't know if there was a hint in that, maybe, at what, what, he, what his thinking was. But were you surprised at, at the announcement? Like, did, it, did you see it coming? I was a wee bit shocked, I suppose, when 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 it announced, right? Might, might give us a ring, give a lot of the boys a ring just to tell us all beforehand, you know. So I got chatting to him. So uh, yeah, disappointed and, and a wee bit shocked, you know. Um, everyone thought Michael Murphy was going to go on forever, you know. As, as unfortunately, all all good things do have to come to an end. But yeah, I suppose going back to the their my game at the end, he, he, as as always, when, when on, on losing day and going out of the championship, you know, the, the captain of the team always speaks and, and he touched on that there will be a Donegal team going out, but definitely at that time I thought that Michael Murphy would be playing full forward first next year, you know, but uh, it was a huge shock, so it was um, again, it's not, not something that I've seen coming when when, when I was chatting to him um, all, all throughout, you know, the last number of months during the club champion stuff, definitely thought that, that he was going to be playing, but as I said, good all good things have to come to an end, and, and as, uh, I've really, really enjoyed, you know, over the last number of, of hours and, and days, I suppose, when, since he has announced it, just looking back in his career, just, there, there is stuff at the start of a career that, you know, I was probably a wee bit younger that you would not remember and stuff like that, but looking back in it, just what, what a career he had, I think there's there's not much he hasn't won, you know, he's won the Ireland, he's won Ulsters, he's won All-Stars, he's won club championships, I think I've seen, unfortunately, Kilkar, point of view, we were on the receiving end one, but I think he's played in three county championships and Kilkar finals and he's been the or Glen Swally should say have won three county championships in Donegal and he's been a man of the match in every one of them you know so what he's given to his county and, and his club is, is nothing short of phenomenal It's mad like you just think of the the success he's had and, and such a leader as well in the moments as you say that have kind of cropped up on social media in the last number of days like there's the goal in that 2012 Fall Ireland final against Mayo there was the uh, keeping the ball in, you know, in the, at the sideline for the uh, Kevin Cassidy point against Kildare in 2014 there was a lovely one for DCU as well in the Sigerson where he kind of dummy solos over Rory O'Carroll's head and dinks it over with the outside of his right foot like so many unbelievable moments like anything that, that stands out to you particularly as kind of the highlights of, of his career I suppose from from a Donegal point of view, it, it would probably be the, the 2012 um, All Ireland final against Mayo. You know, um, remember going up to the up up to watch that game. Um, phenomenal, you know, just a phenomenal performance. You know, to to, to get off to that and, and and by getting to know the the, the boys and, and getting to know Michael over the the next number of years. You know, how many times they actually practiced that in training and worked on that in training, and for it to come off on, on the biggest day and and, and in our calendar. You know, um, I suppose that that would definitely be the biggest one. But the amount of moments and, and great moments that Michael has given the people of Donegal, you know, is, is just non short of phenomenal. As I said, you know, every single year when they're going tough, it, it was always Michael that 
that, that stood up for us and, and we always rode in behind them. But I think from a Donegal point of view, it would definitely be the, the 2012, the, the goal. And, and, and to see him go up the steps in, in Crow Park to, to lift Sam Maguire was something special. It was funny, like we were talking on the show yesterday about... Um, do you know, even what he's like off the pitch, Ryan, like, you know, the fact that he sponsors, has sponsored the Donegal Senior Championship, you know, since his mid-twenties. There was the great story from, from Gordon Manning in the Irish Times yesterday where um, he was named man of the match for Donegal in the win over Tyrone in late of May last year. Um, finishes his interview with TG Carr and walks towards the cameraman, Brendan O'Donnell. And everyone yeah. in Donegal will be familiar with Brendan's brother, Michael Jack O'Donnell, who, who had uh, a well-known Donegal photographer who had passed away at the start of that month. Um, yeah. and Michael had obviously got to know him over the years Michael Murphy and, and walks towards Brendan his brother and hands him his man of the match award and says it's it's for his brother like it's just little moments like that I'm sure that, that stand out and kind of speak volumes as to Michael Murphy the person yeah no exactly you know as, as I said he, he is a he is a phenomenal player and a phenomenal leader and, and everything to do with, Donny, with Donegal GA he's led the whole thing but off the field you couldn't meet a nicer person so you couldn't a more genuine person you know um, as you said simple wee things like that just separates him, I think, from from other people. You know, um, Michael Jack would have been at every single Donegal game. He would have been at the few training sessions, even coming up to games, uh, working for the the numerous papers and stuff, taking pictures, um, and just simple things like that. You know, to, that a lot of people wouldn't think of that Michael definitely thinks of that that separates him, as I said, from from other people. And, and there's there's numerous stories I got off the top of the head. I can't. I can't Thank you, one, but there is numerous stories of that. You know, different things after games. Obviously, Michael was always the biggest profile in Donegal, and and Michael could be standing for hours after games taking pictures with with young supporters and, and young fans on the pitch when, when we're all in the shower dre- or getting changed and heading away for for post match meal and stuff like that. Michael would be outstanding taking pictures with kids, you know, and never shied away from anything like that, you know. So he didn't. So um, definitely couldn't speak enough or highly enough about, about Michael off the pitch, you know. Um, as I said, from my point of view, when, when I came in, he was the one person that I always looked to try copy. But just the way that he did live his life off off the pitch was was phenomenal, you know. And, and he'll be a massive miss. So he will. There's, there's no point beating around the bus. He's going to be a massive, massive miss, miss for Donegal, and not just as a player, but as a person around the dressing room and as a friend, as a close, close friend to to a lot of us. You know, it's, it's going to be a massive miss. Still to come, ex-jockey Evan Daly on why he now has a passion for health and nutrition. Now, ex-flat jockey Evan Daly has swapped his passion for the world of horse racing to follow his passion of educating people on health and nutrition. He was speaking to Ger and Shane on OTBAM this week about how his struggles to make weight led to a battle with bulimia. Realistically, I thought I was going to get a little bit heavy, so I'd always had the idea that I would have to go jumping. Um, because obviously, when you're a jump jockey, you have to a little bit higher weights. Um, so basically, I thought that was going to be the, the road I was going to have to take. And maybe two years in, I just said to Ger, right, I am getting a little bit heavy here now. I'm struggling. Had an awful, probably a massive like lack of knowledge in regards to nutrition. I think it's 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 massive with jockeys. It's the lack of knowledge is detrimental, to be honest. So uh, just sorry to, mm. to to go slowly through this bit. So, what weight are you in your lines that that is a bit too heavy for flat jockey? Mm. Yeah. So basically, I was waking up at the time where I was like, right, I'm a little bit heavy. I was waking up probably maybe nine two nine three nine four even some mornings possibly, and I would have been doing I could do weights of maybe. 8, 9, 8, 8, 8, 10 so basically you'd obviously have to sweat off that in your 24 hours or whatever. 6 pounds in, the, in yeah, 24 hours yeah that was that was just constant so when you, I, when you don't really have it to, to lose that's the thing and it, I, I was thinking like right this is very early days to, to have to go to this extreme and I was like right I actually always had the intention of being a jump jockey so I'm like right I can now probably get more opportunities as being a jump jockey because I'm going to be able to ride at the bottom weight so I'm like right this is a no brainer like so 
Got down, met or rang. Jar actually rang Joseph for me, so right. yeah, moved down to Joseph O'Brien's from there because I was like, right, there's just so much more. There, there surely be more opportunities. Um, because as I said, because I could ride at the bottom weight, whereas on the flat, I just struggled to even not even get close to the bottom weight realistically. You know what I mean? It was after school, you're about twenty, twenty one. Yeah, yeah, I was only about actually. I'm only twenty two now, so this is right. probably when I just turned eighteen, maybe just okay. barely turned eighteen. Not actually in the seventeen actually is when I was, um, in the two thousand seventeen. I think October over time so moved down and actually like loved it like I loved it had a few good winners um, had a winner for, for, for Mr McManus um, Giganstown um, so yeah had actually good time to be honest like or, oh, an okay time you know what I mean I had a few nice winners was tipping away nothing drastic either but there was more opportunities starting to arise in that you know but at the same time again I was still struggling a little bit with weight. My weight was constantly creeping up and up and up a little bit. Not a massive, not a very tall fella, but I was just doing things like completely arseways, like, you know, like genuinely completely, completely backwards. But that was just down to the a, a lack of education, you know. And um, You hadn't gone to race or anything like that? You hadn't no, come through that, that system? No, no, nothing like that. Nothing like that. Um, nothing like that. I just came from, straight from school, basically, right. to be honest. Straight from school. I'd get help off dietitians and stuff, but it wasn't, I don't think things were really it didn't land with you obviously mm, yeah I, I don't think things were I- explained very well like looking back with the knowledge I have now of it and like right I, I, first, I actually possibly think I maybe would have been still in the game if 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 I had maybe a better knowledge of nutrition and that and wasn't doing things so backwards you know because that and injuries were a thing that was probably a massive factor of finishing racing to be honest um, and I'm actually kind of adamant of that you know Um so yeah that was so from from there I suppose from the, where are we now yeah so I suppose from the 20 2020 sorry 2019 got a fall in Clamel did my vertebrae as my back came back eight nine weeks later broke my collarbone and came back again I was just like right I, I, I came to the stage where I was like right I'm not even really wanting a ride as such you know what I mean I was back down in Joe's and I was like I, usually before I'd be like constantly refreshing talking to the agent and do you know what I mean really wanting rides but I got to a point where I wasn't really wanting them I was like right this is this must be it even though it was an a, issue there yeah yeah massive <laughs> issue so that was a very very hard decision like you know when you're yeah. growing up and everything is racing you know you're very matter of fact uh, did, did the vertebrae like that means you you broke those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I fra- this is the thing I always find with the jockeys, like ah, like, <laughs> just slow that bit down because like if you know if everybody has a little bit of a pain in their back and in the real world they're like oh my back I can't move. Yeah. Whereas you guys break a vertebrae and it's like yeah I was back in eight weeks. You know, it's mad. It, it, it is mad. It's when, ma- when you step outside of the bubble, you're like it's totally mad. I'm telling you now, me looking back in, I'm like them men and and women. Sorry, are are like made of iron like you know what I mean they're made of iron and I obviously probably hadn't that same iron inside me you know what I mean because them falls got to me nearly like you know I was like right this is no life like I'm literally hitting the deck here at 40 mile an hour getting hammered to the ground when I look back it's just it's the craziest sport but like no one outside that sport realise what them people are made of like they are made of iron and as I said it's not even just hit, getting falls it's it's constant constant weight management constant weight cutting like some of the lads they're like some of the flat jockeys like they're struggling on a daily daily basis like constantly cutting weight like six pounds a normal weight cut like you know that's getting in the way of your everyday, everyday, everyday life as well and the injuries you're like Jesus this is another eight weeks twelve weeks of this that's the thing and that was the biggest thing I found so when I when I kind of had the time off this is another thing actually like right, when you're a jump jockey I'm not sure it's a change now but I don't think that maybe they might have got an extra week but like you actually only have two weeks off 10 days it was when I was racing I think it was 10 days yeah 10 days to two weeks off 
actually with no racing like in an entire year that's mad stuff like you know what I mean that's mad stuff um and I was just when I was I was off race and I came back home I was like Jesus Christ I we're there isn't much of a life here like I was like I'm missing out on an awful lot of things not even like social things as such but just just everyday lifestyle decisions you have to make and I was at a point where my whole outlook on food is very bad I was doing bad things in regards to, to, to my food um, what kind of stuff I, like there was there was probably a little bit of um, I suppose a little bit of making myself sick the odd time oh, and no, things like right. that you know what I mean so and were you talking to anybody about that or was no, it no that's and it's only recently I would have said that I suppose on, on a few podcasts now because now I can look back and like yeah, I can now say it like it's 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 uh, it's a thing that that goes on you know what I mean it's a thing that goes on but like when I'm looking back I'm like right that was that wasn't normal you know was it it's a thing that goes on do you think that other of your peers were doing it too was it spoken 100%. about uh, not probably out loud but yeah y- y- it, it, you know. it happens like yeah, yeah 100% 100% that's pretty grim isn't it yeah it is grim it is grim like I'm not sure the, the, how many people are like that but I 100% yeah it definitely will ha- it does happen like you know um, it's, it's it's a common thing in everyday life people aren't aware of actually how common this is like it's uh, it's it's it's, it's uh, I, was, I wasn't completely out of control of it I'll put it that way to you like yeah. I used to just go through phase of like I'd be just it, it was, I suppose, to an extent, binge eating because of severe restriction and then a severe binge, and then obviously you 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 would make yourself sick and you'd feel better and get it up, whatever you know. It's a, it's a it doesn't sound great, like, but it was just the reality of the situation, you know. And again, it was down to the lack of understanding of the whole the whole thing, you know. It's funny that comes across in in your constant videos is like, uh, you know, uh, don't. Don't kill yourself. Yeah. Don't binge because the binge is bad. But then when you do binge, don't worry about it. That's not the end of your life. Exactly. You have to forgive yourself for it. Yeah, that's massive. Like every day, I, it's it's only when you work with more and more people you're seeing the exact same things. Right. Nutrition, in my opinion, is probably one of the most overcomplicated things that there there is. To be honest, it's the most overcomplicated thing. People think we need to go to drastic things, making extremely overcomplicated meals, making uh, not allowing to have this food, not allowing yourself to have this food. Where we need to just kind of strip it back. And be like, right? What are the principles of weight, weight loss? Is the is the thing that Ireland is really struggling with at the moment? Like obesity is a massive problem in Ireland at the moment, and it is on the rise. I think it's second in the charts to Malta, which is which is a which is a fairly not, not it's not a brilliant statistic. You know what I mean? So we're obviously doing something wrong, and I personally think that it's it's a it's a massive amount of misinformation that's out there now through different I suppose weight loss programs demonizing certain certain food groups instead of looking at the real issue that is literally overall energy balance is absolute fundamental of your of your weight loss and of weight gain and that's a fact of the matter it's not your one specific food group but people are trying to think it's bread trying to think or think that it's bread think that it's chocolate think it's their alcohol they think it's like one thing so they take out probably one thing that they completely enjoy might stick to it for maybe a couple of weeks maybe lose a bit of weight they can't last with that and they end up putting all the weight back on again like you know what I mean it's pleasure denial like, it, and, literally. and it doesn't work in the long term doesn't it, it absolutely doesn't and um, it, it absolutely doesn't and it's it's a fact you know what I mean like whenever you tell yourself you're, you know, if you tell yourself right I like if I told you don't think of the wall behind you you're going to start thinking of the wall behind you it's the same thing as with like food if you tell yourself you can't have something you're just going to want it so much more and people will be just testing the willpower nearly pulling I, the analogy I'd use like you're restraining yourself constantly 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 till you can't do it anymore you know what I mean whereas people need to question their beliefs around nutrition 
and let's say a person who has maybe put on weight over the years and struggling with, with, with weight loss over the years they need to like strip it back and be like right question why have I got from here to here you know what I mean like Nutrition is very simplistic, but at the same time, there's a lot of factors that influence a person to the amount that we eat. Stress, sleep, relationships, uh, work, you know what I mean? Like stress eating is a massive thing, you know what I mean? And comfort eating is massive, you know? But again, at the same time, it's, it's a lot to do with a person's overall relationship with food and that's something I try and just drive home to people try and work on that massively because it's it affected me massively as well, well I was going to say it's like it, there's a real credibility about your stuff in the videos you make because you're actually and you don't talk about the fact that when I was a jockey I did this thing but mm. it, it kind of the architecture on which the videos are built is actually something meaningful and real De- definitely it, it, it definitely is based on something that I probably struggle with as well um, like you can't just solely base it on what you struggle with but at the same time there's I, I notice there's a lot of um, um, people will relate to things an awful lot because like I went through phases where I tried shake diets I tried cutting out carbs I tried cutting out bread I tried cutting out everything I tried to cut out whereas people just forget right how can we add maybe uh, add things in maybe that were not absolutely wall falling with the hunger come 8 o'clock at night and we end up going to the biscuit tin and having 25 biscuits you know what I mean yeah. like it's people will try and restrict 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 but then binge and, uh, and overeat you know just time to tell you about what's coming up on Off the Ball this weekend. John Duggan will be joined by Ireland flanker Peter O'Mahony tomorrow ahead of their last Autumn International Series match against Australia. Mark Kinslet, David Myler, and Mark Lawrenson looking ahead to the World Cup on Football Saturday. Tommy Martin and Mick O'Keefe will cast their eyes over the papers on Sunday. And Keane Tracy and Fiona Hayes will be looking back at Ireland against the Wallabies. Splunk is up next. Speak to you soon.